I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles first this morning to John chapter 14. We've been teaching a series on miracles for, uh, well, quite a while. I don't really know how long we've been going um, on this subject. But uh, this morning I want to, uh, to talk to you about miracles in the church. We've talked a lot about Jesus. We've talked a lot about uh, the miracles of the Old Testament. We've talked a lot about things that God has done in times past. But I want to talk to you about God's plan for miracles in the church. John chapter 14, Jesus said in verse uh, 12, speaking to his disciples on the last night that he was with them, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, or another way to say that, another translation is he that believeth in my name. He's talking about being saved. He's not talking about special ones. He's not talking about somebody that's got a special anointing. He's not talking about some special faith. He's talking about those that are uh, in the church family, those that make Jesus the Lord of their lives. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me or on my name, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask, to call for a required demand, is what the word ask means. In my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, we saw Jesus raise the dead. We saw Jesus walk on the water. We saw Jesus multiply loaves and fishes. We saw Jesus calm the storm. Uh, we saw Jesus heal every manner of sickness and every manner of disease among the people. We saw him cast out evil spirits with his word. So what does he mean when he says the works that I do shall he do also? When Jesus said verily, 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 verily means truly, truly. Whenever he says that twice, he's trying to emphasize the point. He said verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me or believeth in my name, we could say it this way. Uh, in modern vernacular, in the church terminology, we could say, he that is saved. He that is saved, the works that I do, shall he do also. And even greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. So what does Jesus, the Son of God, intend for the church to do? Everything he did and more. Everything he did and more. Jesus intended. Now, the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So this is what Jesus, if the Bible's true, if what, this is what Jesus wanted when he was here on the earth, it's what he wants now. Jesus said everything that he said was of the Father. So this is the same thing as Jesus saying, here's what the Father wants. He wants the ones that believe in my name, the ones that are saved. He wants them to do the same works as me and even greater works. And the way you do them is you use my name. Well, the Bible says God never changes. In fact, God says specifically, I am God, I change not. Now, I know the church has changed him. But God said he never changes. So if Jesus is speaking the will of the Father when he says, I expect, intend, and desire for the church to do the same works, same healing miracles, the same, uh, using the same authority over the devil and so forth, the same works that I did, shall he do, and even greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. If Jesus is saying, I desire i intend for the church to do the same miracles as me and even greater ones if he's saying i'm speaking for the father and he says i intend for the church to do the same works miracles and so forth and even greater ones because i'm going to him then what does god want today he wants the church to do the same works and the same miracles as jesus did now folks you've got to twist the bible to come up with something other than that You've got to come up with, with, with new doctrine. You've got to come up with ideas about the age of miracles is past. Well, when the last apostle died and Jesus wasn't talking to everybody, well, then why did the Holy Ghost save the book for everybody? He didn't have to. 
He didn't have to save the whole book. Why, did, why wasn't God smart enough to save only the part that's for us? Knowing full well that we would get confused if it doesn't all belong to us. I just can't believe that God that created the universe in such a specific manner that keeps us alive wasn't smart enough to know that man wouldn't be able to figure it out on his own. You know, the idea about the day of miracles is past, the age of miracles is past. Jesus said that the way, the reason and the means that he was doing the miracles was not of himself. He said, the works that I do, I don't do of myself. It's the Father in me that doeth the works. How was the Father in him? By the Holy Ghost. Jesus didn't do any miracles until he was baptized by John in the Jordan River and the Holy Ghost descended on him in bodily shape as a dove. So Jesus is saying, the works that I'm doing are, do, are being done by the Holy Ghost. Now, let me ask you a question. What is the dispensation of the Holy Ghost? There's only one dispensation of the Holy Ghost. Jesus wasn't living in the dispensation of the Holy Ghost. He was living in the day of the fulfillment of the old covenant. The Holy Ghost came on him specifically to finish the work that God sent him to do concerning salvation and redemption of mankind. That was not the day of the Holy Ghost. The day of the Holy Ghost was after his resurrection. Joel uh, prophesied, and in the last days I'll pour out my spirit. When does the, the age of the dispensation of the Holy Ghost end? When the church is taken up into heaven. So think about what that means. For somebody, for the church to have preached, the day of miracles is past, the age of the uh, dispensation of, of miracles is past when the apostles died. Think about what that means. The day or the age or the dispensation of the Holy Ghost, which is now during the church age, the Holy Ghost, who was the miracle worker in and on Jesus. Now he doesn't do that. When this is his age. When this is his dispensation, when this is his period to work. How do we come up with that? We, I'm saying in a general sense, being the church world. I trust that you and I, we don't, don't believe that. But how did the church world come up with that? It's ridiculous, folks. It's ridiculous the doctrines of men that have been developed to keep the simple truth, the simple knowledge, the simple fact that God, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost intend and have provided means for the church to do the same miracles as Jesus. Now the question, why doesn't the church do them? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Jesus, on the last night that he was betrayed, the last night he was with his disciples, said, the works that I do shall you do also. Why? Because you believe in my name. He did not say, now, because you're such a sharp group of people, because you're smarter than the average bear, because you're more educated than anybody else, because there's just some special qualities about you guys that nobody else can attain to. Folks, that is not the case for any of this group. In fact, when they start doing the miracles in the book of Acts, it says that the Jews took knowledge of Peter and John, that they were ignorant and unlearned men. To say that the apostles were the ones that had the power because they had something special means that God couldn't find anybody else that was ignorant and unlearned after they died. Well, the church is living proof that that's not the case. So what happens? Well, Jesus goes to the cross. Turn with me over to John chapter 20. 
Jesus goes to the cross and he's raised from the dead. The disciples are distraught because now they don't know what to do. They were planning to follow Jesus forever and now he's died. He told them that he'd be raised again from the dead, but they didn't believe it. And I, I, I really can't throw rocks at them for that. That would be hard to accept. But three days after Jesus is, uh, is crucified, the day of his resurrection, the evening of his re- resurrection, really. Verse 19 in John chapter 20, then the same day at evening being the first day of the week. When the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Notice this is not a bold group. This is not a brave crowd. They're assembled hiding because they're afraid that the same ones that killed Jesus are coming for them next. Came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw, what's the next thing? The Lord. Now, folks, remember that Romans chapter 10 tells us how to be saved. It says it's two parts. If you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, is that qualification met in their case? They see it. No question they believe he's raised from the dead. The second thing is, if you believe Jesus is raised from the dead, believe in your heart that Jesus is raised from the dead, the second thing is, and then you confess him as your Lord, you'll be saved. Now, what do they identify or who do they identify Jesus as according to the Holy Ghost? The Lord. They're meeting the qualifications for salvation. And then it says, Jesus said unto them again, verse 21, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, folks, we've got, let's just be honest here. If Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive something, and they didn't get something, then he lied to them. If Jesus told a lie, that means he's not the, 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 the Holy One. That the Bible says that he is. The Bible indicates that Jesus while he was here on the earth was without sin. Certainly he's been without sin ever since. So he can't be lying to them. Right? So when he breathes on and says receive the Holy Ghost. Something has to happen. They have to receive the Holy Ghost. If that's what Jesus said to receive. He said receive the Holy Ghost. Now notice the context that the Holy Ghost came upon them or that they received the Holy Ghost. Jesus said in verse 23, Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Jesus is saying, receive the Holy Ghost concerning the remission of sins. Is that not salvation? Is that not the new birth? Were these disciples that Jesus appeared to not born again at this, at this place? Well, according to the the other Gospels, they were. Because the Bible says there was a change that took place in them. The last couple of verses of of Luke's Gospel said they returned to Jerusalem and were openly in the temple, not hiding because of the Jews anymore. They're openly in the temple. They were filled with joy and they were openly in the temple, worshiping and praising God. They're not hiding. Something has changed on the inside of them. Something has changed to cause them to realize this is a different day than it was when we were hiding out from the Jews last week or whenever something happened well isn't that what the bible says takes place at the new birth doesn't the bible say that one of the first things that happens when we're born again is the love of god fills our hearts and the joy of the lord lifts us up 
They're showing outward signs in their life, according to the record that we have by the Holy Ghost. They're showing outward signs that something has happened on the inside of them. Now turn with me over to Acts chapter 1. Jesus, after he's been with them for a while, is caught up into heaven. But before he goes, he tells them something in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, didn't he already say in John chapter 20, receive the Holy Ghost? But now he's saying there's another work of the Holy Ghost. Not a different Holy Ghost, just another work of the Holy Ghost. Same Holy Ghost, two different works. The one work, the first work, is the work of salvation. It's that which causes us to be born again. Remember, Jesus said, talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. That's what happened in John chapter 20. That's why their lives changed. That's why their activity, their, their outward uh, appearance and their, their, their actions changed. Something changed on the inside of them. But now, after they're saved, after they're born again, after they've got the, the life of God on the inside of them through the, through the Holy Ghost, now that they are, their sins have been remitted, now that heaven is their home, he says, but... That's not the end of it. Salvation's not the end of it. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. They've already got the Holy Ghost in them. Now they need the Holy Ghost on them. And folks, that's exactly the way that it was with Jesus. He was born of a virgin. He was born because the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary. He was born with the life of God on the inside of them. That's the equivalent of what we know of as the new birth. It's the life of God. But Jesus never did a work. He never did a miracle. He never did some great sign or wonder or anything else until after the Holy Ghost came upon him when he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. So Jesus is saying, you're supposed to do it like I did. Now that you're saved, wait for the power of the Holy Ghost to come upon you. The power, you shall receive power if the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received them out of their sight. I like the fact that that's the last thing Jesus said before he took off. I love the way John Osteen used to say this. He has already commissioned them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But wait till you receive the Holy Ghost. John Osteen used to say, Jesus is telling them, don't even think about having church without the power of the Holy Ghost. I love that. So Jesus is taken up from their sight. Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. What does one accord mean? Other translations translate it this way, one heart and one mind. What are they one heart and one mind about? Waiting for the Holy Ghost. Waiting for the pouring out or the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, waiting for the Holy Ghost to come upon them. That's the only thing they're waiting. Jesus said, wait, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. That's the only thing they're waiting for. That's the only direction they've been given. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Why are they not going into all the world and preaching the gospel? Because Jesus said, before you go, get the power of the Holy Ghost. And you're going to get that in Jerusalem. Wait for the power to come upon you. Thank God we don't have to wait anymore. He's been poured out. But he's waiting, they're waiting for him to be poured out initially. So it says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled. Everybody say all. Nobody's left out. There's 120 of them in here. Nobody's left out. What if there had been a thousand of them? They would have been all filled. 
Why? Because everybody that's waiting with the same heart and the same mind for the same outpouring of the Holy Ghost would have received because they're waiting in faith. All they're waiting for, all they need is the Holy Ghost to be poured out for the time to come. Well, thank God the time has already come for us. We don't have to wait. We can receive any time. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. How do we know they were filled? They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, this spilled out into the street, and everybody came running together. It was during the Feast of the Pentecost, and so everybody comes together. Here's these guys speaking in different languages. Many of them were from different places, and so they heard them speak in their own languages. Uh, By the way, the Bible doesn't say they spoke their languages. It says they heard them speak. So there's two possibilities. Either God is giving them uh, the, the supernatural ability to speak in languages that they don't know that other men do know, or the miracle that's being taken place is not in their tongues but in the ears of the hearer. could go either way and so it says peter stands up and tries to explain what's going on and he says beginning in verse 16 he said but this is that which was spoken by the prophet joel and it shall come to pass in the last days i will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Now I want you to put two phrases together. Peter is saying in verse 17, this is what Joel said. In the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Compare that with verse 2, and they were all filled with the spirit. And I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and they were all filled with the spirit. And I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and they were all filled with the spirit. If we stop right there and say to this point, to the day of Pentecost, what is God's plan for mankind to be saved and to be filled with the spirit? To say anything otherwise would be to take away from what the Bible says. God's intent as shown by the work of the Holy Ghost is for man to be saved. Well, how many men? God wants everybody to be saved. It's the will of God for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants everybody to be saved. And according to Joel's prophecy, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And they were all filled with the spirit and began to speak with other tongues. What is God's plan for mankind? To be saved and to be filled with the spirit and speak with other tongues. That's God's plan for everybody. Well, why isn't everybody saved and filled with the Spirit? Because not everybody believes what the Bible says. Some people believe what the Bible says about being saved, but they don't believe what the Bible says about being filled with the Spirit. Now, when Peter preaches this, the people in Jerusalem, the crowd that's gathered together, and it's thousands of people, the crowd that's gathered together says, wow, what are we supposed to do? Said to Peter and the other apostles, men and brethren, what are we to do? Verse um, 38, Peter said unto them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So what is Peter telling them by the Holy Spirit, who's giving him the words to preach to the crowd? What does Peter say that God's plan for the world is? To repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. What does that mean in modern terminology? Get saved. And, and means something else, doesn't it? 
and means something in addition to. So he says, here's God's plan for the world to be saved and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, is that not exactly the same process that they've just undergone? John chapter 20, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost for the remission of sins. And then they waited in Jerusalem until the Holy Ghost was poured out. And they were all filled and began to speak with other tongues. Now what happens? Well, Acts chapter 2 goes on to say in verse uh, 41, it says, And they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. This word baptized may or may not mean water baptism. Normally when we see the word baptized or baptized or some form of the word, we automatically think of water baptism. It's not always the case. In, in uh, water baptism is just an outward sign of something that's already taken place on the inside of, a, of your heart. So baptized literally means to come into Christ. Now, they may have been water baptized. It's hard for me to think that there were 3,000 people that were baptized in one day, water baptized in one day. I don't think it's talking about water baptism. I think it's talking about entering into the family of God. But I know water baptism is such an important doctrine for so many people. Uh, if, they, if they want to accept that and, and interpret it that way, that's okay with me. I really don't care. The important thing is 3,000 people got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Because that's what Peter just told them to do. And they continued, verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, 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 teaching. Can I ask you a question? What do the apostles know? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. What are the apostles teaching them? Whatever they're teaching them, they're getting hot off the press from the Holy Ghost. Because besides that, the only thing they can say is, well, (laughs) when we were with Jesus, this happened. And then when we were with Jesus on another day, this happened. And then when we were with Jesus on another day, this happened. What do they know? Hardly anything. But they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, their teaching. What are the apostles teaching? Well, one thing that we do know that they know is they know that the God's plan for the world is to be saved, to be filled with the Holy, Holy Ghost, and God's plan for the church is to do the same works that Jesus did and even greater works. They're unified on that. Folks, I've got to tell you something. There is no way in the world that we can assume or identify or make any kind of uh, intelligent conclusion that the church is in anything other than a complete babyhood stage of Christianity. You got spiritual babies leading spiritual babies. They don't know one-tenth of what you know. They don't know one-one-hundredth of what you know about who you are in Christ. But they do know salvation, baptism of the Holy Ghost, doing the same works as Jesus. I wonder sometimes if we might not be better off if we didn't know anything except those three things. They're continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They all know the same thing. They all believe what they're told. You don't have anybody standing up and saying, well, I don't know about that miracle stuff. Well, I'm not sure healing is for everybody. They're continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They're of one heart and one mind in in that regard. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread. That just simply means that uh, it shows action on their part to separate themselves from the world, to join together with other believers and to separate themselves from the world. Now, notice the next thing it says they continued steadfastly in and in prayers. 
What in the world are they praying? What are these baby Christians praying? What did you pray when you were a baby Christian? You don't even remember. Neither do I. What do baby Christians pray? They don't know anything to pray. What are they praying? Well, let's see what happens and see if we can identify. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Now, the word fear here means respect. I think it would be better translated if we say, and awe or wonder came upon all the people. They're not afraid of God. But there's something that's causing them to be in awe of God and his power. Well, what is that? It says many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. In other words, in the babyhood stage of Christianity, in the beginnings days of the church, and I don't know how long these days last. Here's the Holy Ghost inspiring Luke to tell us about these things. The Holy Ghost seems to have a direct affection for these days when he was able to move. Because he speaks of them in 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 a very loving way, it seems to me, a very loving tone. And so here's the Holy Ghost saying everybody was in unity where doctrine was concerned. They joined together to themselves in fellowship and breaking of bread, separating themselves from the world, and they continued in prayer. And man, there was a great awe, (coughs) excuse me, or wonder (coughs) that came upon all the people. Why? Because the signs and wonders were being done by the Lord. Now, folks, please understand, it was not their spiritual maturity that caused the Holy Ghost to move. It was not their great knowledge of God that caused the people to cause the Holy Ghost to move. <clears throat> I think so often we have the idea that if we just learn enough, then things will happen. That wasn't the case with them. They didn't know anything. They didn't know anything. But isn't it interesting that unity in the doctrine that they had, the information that they did have from the, from the apostles which has to be coming straight from the Holy Ghost, just like in Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching came directly from the Holy Ghost. Peter didn't know any of that stuff before he started saying it. So whatever they're teaching, they're getting directly from from God himself through the Spirit of of the Lord, the Holy Ghost. So they're in unity where the doctrine or the teaching is concerned. They're in unity in separating themselves from the world to whatever degree they can. Remember, there's 3,000 people plus 120 in the upper room, the the church is at least 3,120 people at that time. There's no place for them to gather where everybody can get together. There's no house big enough. But they're joining themselves to other believers. For what? Well, the Bible says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together because it encourages us. It brings encouragement. It brings strength to us. So they're doing whatever they can do to stay in the things of God. And they're praying. And they're praying. Well, they can't be praying much with their understanding because they don't have any understanding. So they must be doing most of their praying in the Holy Ghost. So whatever they're praying in the Holy Ghost, according to Paul in his direction, his instruction and uh, uh, information that he gives to us writing to the Corinthians, when you pray to the Holy Ghost, you're praying the perfect will of the Father. So whatever they're praying, they're praying the perfect will of the Father. Now, what's taking place? Signs and wonders. So is it a big jump for us to say that whatever they're praying in the Holy Ghost must be praying for the move of the Holy Ghost? Because that's what they got. Isn't it? Acts chapter 3. The great miracle is done in the beautiful gate of the temple. A crippled man is healed. 
Peter and John stand up, tell everybody, wait a minute, this is not us. It's not by our own power, our own holiness, which is what the doctrine of men say is the reason why this took place. The apostles were special. They had special power. They had a special place with God. That's the one thing that Peter said we don't have. It's not by our own power or our own holiness that this man is made whole, but by the name of Jesus, through faith in his name. He ought to know. I mean, if he's got special power, wouldn't he be doing a disservice? Would the Holy Ghost be doing a disservice by not telling us that Peter said, now, 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 wait a minute, I know you're excited about this, but don't think everybody can do this. See, I was with Jesus. I was one of his special three. But that's the very thing he said it wasn't. Well, the Jewish council comes and takes hold of them. Wants to know what's, what all the uproar is about. Acts chapter 4, it says, Howbeit many of them which heard the word, that's Peter's preaching about what happened in the name of Jesus. Many of them that heard the word believed, and the number of them, number of the men was about 5,000. So now the church is 8,120 people. Two main events. Church of 8,000 people plus. The Jews call them into question, ask them, what are they doing? What authority or what name have you done this healing work in? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, verse 8, said, in other words, here's the Holy Ghost. This is the way this is working. The Holy Ghost has given them the words to say as they need to say them. Must be the same way that they're teaching the people. Tells them about Jesus, whom they crucified, whose God has raised from the dead, and so forth. Then they're threatened. And commanded not to preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus by the council. Same ones who crucified Jesus say, you guys better cut this out. So what do they do? They run back to their hiding place. Now it says in verse 24, and when they heard that, or verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they who? Their own company. Now I don't know how many people are together. But just as it said in the previous chapter, uh, chapter 2 I guess it was, where they're continually, continued steadfast in doctrine and in fellowship and breaking of bread from house to house and in prayers. They're gathered together as much as they can possibly be. And so they go to one of these houses, one of these places, one of these gathering places where everybody, or as many people as can get together, are together. I don't know how many people are there. I don't know if it's 50 people. I don't know if it's 20 people. I don't know how many people it is. But the Holy Ghost is the one that's authoring this book through Luke. So notice what the Holy Ghost tells us about what happens. In other words, here's God's perspective on what happened next. Here's God's account on what happened next. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Now, I want to stop you right there and ask you a question. Who's leading this prayer? It just said they lifted up their voice to God with one accord, with one heart and one mind and one soul, one intent, one purpose. How is it that they're all saying the same thing? Did Peter say, now when I was in jail, I wrote out a prayer and I made copies. So everybody take a copy or look on with your neighbor and let's all say this together. Here, this would have been the church's first responsive reading. Is that what's happening? No. It's God's perspective on what they're praying, and they're all praying together, so they've got to be praying in other tongues. And here's what God heard. 
Here's the utterance that the Holy Ghost gave them, the interpretation of the utterance that the Holy Ghost gave them to speak in other tongues. Good thing they know how to pray. Baby Christians. We're not talking about spiritual giants. We're not talking about a spiritually mature church. Nobody was spiritually mature, including the apostles. They've been born again about a month longer than these guys have. Six weeks, I guess. Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and thy people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Stop right there and think for a minute. Isn't it fascinating that the Holy Ghost would give them utterance to say that? I mean, they haven't even gotten to asking anything. Now, they got a lot to be afraid of if they're going to get in fear. A lot. Because the same ones that crucified Jesus, the same ones that that imprisoned Jesus, took him, beat him, and crucified him, talked the Romans into crucifying him, the same ones, they've obviously shown their power, political power at least, to have somebody crucified, have now threatened these same disciples. Said, you better stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus or else. They know what or else could mean. It could mean imprisonment. It could could mean death. And so they start praying. And notice what the Holy Ghost gives them to pray. Lord, you're God. You're at work in all of this stuff. You were at work in the crucifixion of Jesus. Even in Herod and Pontius Pilate's attitudes and their actions in this. You put them in place to do exactly what you intended to be done so that redemption be, could be accomplished through Jesus' sacrifice. And now, Lord. And now, Lord. And now, Lord. I, I hope, I don't know how it works, but I hope when we get to heaven, we'll see all the wonderful things we prayed in other tongues. Maybe God's got a special room up there. We can go check out your prayer history. That, that might not be a good thing for a lot of people. But wouldn't it be great to find out that all the time that we were here on the earth thinking, well, is God hearing me? Is God doing anything? Here's what the Holy Ghost was having us pray in other times. Folks, I'm trying to get you to take, to not take for granted the exceeding greatness of the power of the Holy Ghost that's at work in you. We speak in tongues and think, well, okay, don't know if that did any good or not. And fail to recognize that God is speaking life-changing words through us when we speak in other tongues. And now, Lord, verse 29, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Please notice it says servants, not apostles. Who are the servants of God being spoken of here? It's not just the apostles. It's everybody that's in the church. Here's the church praying by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that the church would speak the word of God with boldness. Now, it seems like if God wanted that to be, and he obviously does, he wouldn't have inspired them to pray that if he didn't want that. 
It seems to me that if that's what God wants, why didn't he just make that happen? Because God is limited in his actions by his word to your prayers. God will work for you and in you to the degree that you're praying for it. Which is a great explanation why the church is powerless in the modern day. Now, folks, remember, these are baby Christians. These are people that have been saved for a couple of months at the most. We're not talking about a great spiritual knowledge. We're not talking about a great knowledge of the truth. We're not talking about Paul's revelation. They've got none of that. They just know that Jesus is crucified and told us to do the same works he did. That's all they know. And now, Lord, behold the threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by. Here's the boldness. Here's the, the, the cause of the boldness that they're looking for. Here's what they're praying to have. By stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Now, here's what spiritual babies that are led by the Holy Ghost pray. Moved by the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus. That's basically the prayer, isn't it? If we had to summarize what their prayer is about, are they not praying by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost for a move of the Holy Spirit that results in healing the sick? Is that not what they're praying? Is anybody there? I want you to say it. Is that what they're praying? Now, here's my next question. Why does the Holy Ghost save a record for us? Because that's what he wants you to pray. Now, what do these people know? They know to be saved. They know to be filled with the Spirit. They know to pray for a move of the Holy Ghost that results in the healing of the sick. That's what they know. This is the foundation of what they know. Now, of course, that doesn't compare in any way with what we know because we're so much smarter. as evidenced by the great power that the modern-day church shows. But bless their hearts, here's what they did when they didn't know anything. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and spake the word of God with boldness. Please notice it's not just the apostles that are speaking the word of God with boldness, it's everybody. That's what I said about granted to thy servants not just talking about the apostles not just talking about the leaders not just talking about the 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 pastors or the ministry offices everybody in other words to pray that the holy ghost would move upon the church and not just upon the leaders and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own but they had all things in common and with great power everybody say power If the church wants to know what produces power, here's the thing. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's got everything just right in their lives. It doesn't mean that everybody's spiritually mature. Chapter 5 goes on and tells us about Ananias and Sapphira, who conspire in the middle of this move of God, in the middle of this great outpouring of the holy ghost ananias and sapphira because they're human because everybody involved is still human they start looking around saying how can we use this to gain advantage 
I know. We'll sell some property and give part of the money, but tell them that we gave it all. Barnabas did that in the last part of chapter 4, and man, look what happened to him. Maybe the same thing will happen to us. That didn't turn out too well for them. They died in church. The result of them dying in church, verse 11 of chapter 5, and great fear came upon all the church. I don't doubt that one little bit. I wish there was more fear in church today. Or they'd keep people from doing the wrong things. And great fear came upon all the, all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Verse 12, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest dared no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. How much is a multitude? We know the church is 8,000 plus. We got 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. We got 120 that started before the Holy Ghost was poured out. We got believers added to the Lord daily such as should be saved. We don't know how many that is. We got 5,000 people that get saved from Acts chapter 3, the healing of the man at the beautiful gate. So we got 8,000 plus the believer, 8,120 plus the believers that are added to the Lord plus the multitudes that are added in chapter 5. I have no idea how many that is. But at the very least, it's over 8,000 people. That's a pretty good sized church to get started with. Now, folks, the size of the church has nothing to do with the power of God. They're not too big for God to move. See, everything that we might think hinders stuff. That's not the thing. What can we say about this church? We can say that the early days of the church, the church in Jerusalem, up until what we see here in Acts chapter 5, the church is under the control of the Holy Ghost. The teaching is controlled by the Holy Ghost. The praying is controlled by the Holy Ghost. And the people know what their job is. Their job is to be filled with the Spirit, meaning those that are saved. The job for the church, first born again to be part of the church. Second, be filled with the Spirit. Stay full of the Holy Ghost. Pray for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that results in healing. That's what they know to do. And that's what they're doing. And notice what God can do when he's in charge of the church. Verse 14, and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick under the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about into Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. When the Holy Ghost has control of the church, Now, let me define that. I'm going to say this so many times that you're going to be sick of hearing it. Here's what being in charge of the Holy Ghost, having charge of the church means. When the Holy Ghost is in control of the church, meaning the church, the believers, know to be filled and to stay full of the Holy Ghost. Know to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that results in the healing of the sick. Or let's say it this way. To pray for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and to prevail in prayer for healing. When the Holy Ghost has control of the church that way, God heals people in the street. To conclude otherwise would be to make the Bible a lie. 
Because that's the record that the Holy Ghost gives us of what, uh, what things are like when he's in charge of the body of Christ. Turn with me over to James chapter 5. If this is true, we ought to have some additional evidence of this, shouldn't we? James chapter 5. Verses of scripture you're going to be well familiar with. We preach on them a lot. Let's start in verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Afflicted means going through a test, trial, or trouble. Let him pray. Is any of you afflicted? Let him call for the church to pray. No. If you're in trouble, you pray. Why? Because God hears your prayer. Most prayer requests are because people don't have confidence in their own ability to pray or or God's willingness to hear them when they pray. If I know God hears my prayer, what do I need you praying for? In fact, that could be a detriment if you don't know how to pray well or, or scripturally. But isn't that what the church does? Oh, pray. Pastor Mike, pray. They'll put out prayer requests on Facebook or whatever, on social media. Get, let's get as many people praying as we can. I'm convinced a lot of people don't get results because of all the people that are praying. You got some people praying for the, what the word of God says. You got other people praying what they think. You got other people praying, Lord, if it be thy will, which ones do God, does God listen to? Folks, we need to develop ourselves in the knowledge of the word so that we can do our own praying. That always goes over big. Is any among you afflicted, going through a test, trial, or trouble? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. I have yet had anybody call the church and say, Pastor Mike, things are going so well for me. Would you sing a song on my behalf? (laughs) Never. And the reason for that is because when things are going well, we are perfectly willing to sing for ourselves. We don't want somebody to do our own singing for us. We want to do it ourselves, right? We ought to be the same way where prayer is concerned. Is any among you sick? Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them, the elders, pray over him, the sick, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith. The word prayer is the word declaration. Literally the statement of faith. Declaration of faith shall save the sick. This word prayer does not mean to ask God for something. It means a declaration of faith shall save the sick. Now, why would a declaration of faith save the sick? He's going to tell you if you'll keep reading. The declaration of faith shall save or heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Verse 16, confess your faults one to another. Stop right there and let me ask you a question. To whom is the letter written? Is James writing to the pastor of the church? To tell the pastor how to heal the sick in his, in the, in his congregation? No, the letter is writing, written to the church. The, the letter is written to the Jews that are scattered abroad. It's written to believers scattered everywhere. In other words, James is writing to people that are in church congregations, big or small, on every corner of the earth that the letter can get to. And he says, here's what you as a believer should do. Confess your faults one to another. In other words, don't get out of love. Stay full of the Holy Ghost. One of the things that the Bible says grieves the Holy Ghost is when we step outside of love because that's the only commandment of the new covenant. So literally what he's saying is don't let anything drain the Holy Spirit from you. 
Now we could stop right here and go over to Ephesians chapter 5 where Paul identifies what being filled with the Spirit or staying full of the Holy Spirit is. James chapter 5 verse 18 says, but believers, talking to believers, to every believer, but be filled with the Spirit. That's a play on words because it literally says be being filled with the Spirit. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Wasn't planning to go there, but I can't not go there now that I've said it. There's no way I'm going to finish this this morning. Just to let you know, this may be a series within a series. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, beginning in verse 18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Notice the comparison he makes. He says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Why in the world would he make a comparison to being drunk with wine or alcohol and being filled with the Spirit? Because it affects your behavior. Christians that stay full of the Holy Ghost, their, their uh, behavior is affected. Not negatively like alcohol will, but positively. Now this word where it says be filled with the Spirit, it literally means, in the Greek it literally says be being filled. Be being filled. In other words, it's a continuous action. He, we could summarize it and say, but stay full of the Holy Ghost. Stay full of the Holy Ghost. Stay full of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says that when you speak in an unknown tongue, you edify yourself. One translation or one meaning of that word edify means you charge yourself up like a battery. Now, folks, if there's ever been a generation that should understand that, it should be us. We have to keep everything charged. We've got to keep our phones charged. We've got to keep our iPads charged. I've got to keep my car charged. You've got to keep everything in the world charged up. Now, some of us like to stay full. Others in our family like to take advantage of the fact that we keep our machines full. I have never understood why people let their batteries or their iPads go down to 2%. They get the red line and then they won't mine. It aggravates the stew out of me. I keep mine charged. I think ahead to realize I'm going to need this later. Even though I don't need it now, I'm going to plug it in now so I can use it later. I'll look around the house. I'll see iPads and iPhones laying everywhere, and there's not a charge cord in sight. (laughs) But everybody knows where to go when they need something that works. I think people are like that spiritually. Folks, it's as easy to live off the top of the barrel spiritually as it is the bottom. All you got to do is fill the barrel once, then live off the top. Same thing's true financially. It's as easy to live off the top of the Bible, uh, top of the barrel financially as it is the bottom. All it takes is believing God to fill it once, and then you keep it full. Spiritually, we need to be like that. We need to stay full spiritually. You don't know what's coming at you tomorrow. You better stay spiritually full today and be ready. How many times do we see Jesus? Faced by some serious situation, he says, wait a minute, I need to go pray. No, he's ready. He's ready to go. Paul writes to the church, he says, be instant in season and out of season. In other words, stay full. Always be ready. Always be on go. That's what staying full of the Holy Ghost is like. Be being filled or stay full of the Holy Ghost. How do you do that? Verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. 
In other words, staying full of the Holy Ghost has something to do with what you say. You keep yourself spiritually charged by speaking. We know that includes tongues because of what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself, charges himself up like a battery. Now, folks, you need to understand that's part of what they were in one accord about in the early days of the church. That's all they knew. And how did they learn? They learned by experience. They got filled with the Holy Ghost and started speaking in tongues. And, man, they came in the next day and said, got together and said, you know, I've been speaking in tongues all day long. And, man, there's just something about doing that. It just makes me feel so strong on the inside. I just feel like I'm charged up and ready to go. Now, I've been doing the same thing and having the same results. How did they find out? They found out by using it. Being filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking with other, other tongues is not yours so that you can say you did once. It's yours for spiritual strength daily, constantly. They knew that or they found it out. They didn't know much. They might not have known who they were in Christ. They might not have known anything about righteousness, but they knew, man, there's something about this speaking in tongues. It does something for me. And every time we pray in other tongues, it seems like more and more power is, is demonstrated in our church services and even in the streets. That much they knew. So how do you stay full? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Secondly, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. An attitude of thankfulness will keep you full of the Holy Ghost. Now, you can't be thankful if you're complaining about what you don't have. It's either or. Finally, the third thing that he mentions is in verse 22, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. In other words, walking in love. Love doesn't insist on its own rights or its own way. Let's say love doesn't have its own rights. It says it doesn't insist on them. Somebody once said, I think it was one of the founding fathers, may have been Benjamin Franklin, Somebody said, in principle, be unyielding, but in everything else, be flexible. If it's not a matter of doctrine, if it's not a matter of, of absolute truth as identified by the word, then who cares whether we do it your way or my way? We're going to get to the same place. What difference does it make? If we do it your way, you'll find out my way would have been better, but <laughs> it's okay. We'll get there nevertheless. That's how you stay full of the Holy Ghost. It has to do with what you say. It has to do with a thankful attitude. It has to do with walking in love. Now turn back with me to James chapter 5. You didn't forget about that, did you? Is any sick among you? The implication is there shouldn't be. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. In other words, stay in the love of God. He's writing this to the individual members of the church. Everybody, maintain your love walk with each other. Don't let unforgiveness creep in and, and create a rift between you and anybody else. Confess your faults one for another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Who is he telling to pray for healing? Is he telling the, the, the apostles, the leaders of whatever congregations are scattered around? 
Is he saying to make sure you pray for the sick? No, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to believers. He's saying prevail in prayer for the healing for the sick. In other words, here's your job as a believer. Here's your job as a Christian. Stay in the love of God and pray for healing for the sick. Then he tells us how. He says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And, and then he tells us the example of that. He said, Elijah was a man of like passions, just like us. And he prayed earnestly. And it didn't rain for the space of three years. Then he prayed again and it rained. He's saying to every believer, he's saying to the church, here's the Holy Ghost instruction through James to the church. And that is, you should be praying for the healing of the sick with the same fervor that Elijah prayed for the rain to start and stop. Now compare that to what we saw in the book of Acts when the Holy Ghost was in charge of the church. What did they know? They knew to be filled and to stay full of the Holy Ghost. They knew to pray for the outpouring of the Spirit and they knew to pray for the healing of the sick. What did God do when the church was operating that way? He healed the sick in the streets. Why? Because praying for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, getting the whole church to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Folks, we could, I could go anywhere with this. I'm out of time already, and I could go anywhere with this. Where it talks about in, in uh, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he said, desire or, or be zealous for spiritual gifts. Who is he writing to? Is he writing to John Jones in the church in Corinth? No, he's writing to everybody. He's saying the whole church should be zealous for these things. The whole church should be desirous for the move of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because you're in the dispensation of the Holy Ghost. He's not, he doesn't have to be talked into moving. He's just looking for an atmosphere where he can. How do you create that atmosphere? By praying for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. By the Christians staying full of the Spirit, praying for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and praying for the healing of the sick. That's what creates the atmosphere for the Holy Ghost to do great and wonderful things. That's what creates the atmosphere for the works of Jesus to be done and even greater works to be done. But what do we do? We come to church, sit back with our arms crossed, say, well, what's he going to do today? talking about the pastor not the holy ghost we come to church and say oh he's not going to teach on faith and healing again today is he man we just had a healing service last year how many of these things are we going to have Folks, we might as well face facts. We live in a day where the traditions of men have overtaken the truth of the word. We live in a day, a period of time, where the teaching that healing is not for everybody, that miracles have passed away, that God doesn't do the same stuff that he did as we read in the book of Acts, have taken hold of men's thoughts and understanding to a much greater degree than the truth of the word. And we will have results only to the degree where healing is concerned or the move of the Holy Ghost is concerned. We will have results only to the, to the degree where the, we can break through the traditional thinking of men's doctrine and get back to the Word. We live in a day of what, I, well, I don't know any other way to call it. We live in a day of universal unbelief where healing the sick is concerned. I'm talking about it in the church. I'm not talking about it in the world. The world doesn't know what to think. But we live in a day where the modern day church universally disbelieves in healing of the sick. 
They may say, well, we believe God can heal. Well, we just don't make an issue out of it. Well, they sure make an issue of the people that don't get healed. They focus on that in a big, big way. Turn with me over to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Jesus appears to John on the island of Patmos and delivers to him what we know of as the revelation. It's not the revelation of the end times, although that's what we normally think about. It's the revelation of Jesus. And the first thing that he does before he tells anything about the end time is he tells about the conditions or the instructions of seven churches, seven churches that existed at that point in time. Jesus gives instructions to those seven churches. Notice the one, the church at Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. I would that thou wert hot, cold or hot. So, but then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, a lot of times people look at this and they think that he's saying you lose your salvation. That's not what he's saying. Let me explain this to you real quickly. Jesus said in John chapter 10, speaking of those that the Father had given him, he said, no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. Well, why would he use a different, trans, uh, different uh, uh, illustration here if he's talking about the same thing? Being plucked out of the hand of God would literally mean being taken out of God's hand, protection, salvation, whatever. That's not the illustration he uses. He said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. What does the mouth represent? represents the word he's not saying you lose your salvation he's saying the word won't work for you the word won't produce why because of lukewarmness now how would you compare that to what we read about the early days of the church when the holy ghost was in charge the one thing they were not is lukewarm they were hot after the things of god by the description and the the testimony of the holy ghost these were people that stayed full of the Spirit. They prayed for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Even though they were having one, they kept praying for it. And they prevailed in prayer for the sick. But Jesus is saying, here's what happens to a lukewarm church. The Word doesn't work for them in the same way that he intended for it to work. Now, it doesn't mean they're not saved. It doesn't mean they don't have any blessings on their lives. It just means the Word doesn't work. If we're looking for miracles, is it safe for us to say, here's one thing that will keep miracles from taking place? Is a lukewarm attitude? When we see that a hot attitude in the early days of the book of Acts, staying full of the Holy Ghost, prevailing in prayer for the sick and praying for the outpouring of the Spirit, if that's what brings signs and wonders and great power and healing in the streets, then would we not have to conclude that being lukewarm in our attitude and, and, and desire for the things of God would keep those things from happening? Sure. So he says, because you're neither cold nor hot, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Because that you say, here's what they're lukewarm about. Because that thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. In other words, they got distracted. They became lukewarm because of material possessions. Now, remember back what Jesus said when he was teaching this parable of the sower and the, the sower sowing the word. In Mark chapter 4, you remember the story? Jesus said one of the things that keeps the, that chokes the word and causes it to become unfruitful is the deceitfulness of riches. 
In other words, material things. So that lines up exactly with this. The word is being choked out in a church that God wants to move in the same way that he moved in Jerusalem and healed the sick in the streets. But he says, I can't do that. Why? Because of your attitude. Is God's attitude any different? Is God's attitude changed? Nope. Theirs is. And they don't even know the condition that they're in. They said, well, we've got material things where everything's going good. We live in Orange County. I mean, for goodness sakes. Folks, there's a lot of similarities to Laodicea and the place that we live. A lot of them. What's the answer? Verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. What in the world does that represent? The only time the Bible ever talks about gold being purified or tried in fire is talking about spiritual works. In other words, it's saying go back to spiritual works instead of material things. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, righteousness, that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thy eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. In other words, he's talking about spiritual understanding, going back to realizing who we are in Christ and doing spiritual works. Now, folks, since we see that the, 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 the results that were produced in the early days of the church, the first several chapters of the book of, of Acts, we have to conclude that the, that the definition of what Jesus said for the Laodiceans to get would be the very things that we've already identified, staying full of the Holy Ghost, praying for the outpouring of the Spirit, and prevailing in prayer for the healing of the sick. Wouldn't we? Wouldn't that make sense? I mean, don't those things connect? Sure. So he's saying, here's what you guys aren't doing, and here's what you need to do. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten and be zealous thereof, or therefore and repent. I'm sorry, I read that wrong. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he will, and he with me. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Now, we use verse uh, 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock, as a, a salvation scripture. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about come back into the door and let the Holy Ghost be in charge of your church. It's not too late. You can overcome. All you have to do is change your attitude. All you have to do is change your desire, change your intent. How do we do that? Well, folks, the only pattern that we have, the only pattern the Holy Ghost gave us which in my thinking is the reason he gave us the pattern is a church that stays full of the Holy Spirit by speaking in other tongues, by giving thanks always, and by walking in love with one another. Secondly, pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What did they know? What did they base their prayers on? Folks, can we, can we conclude that these people knew the Old Testament enough to know that Zechariah 10.1 says, Ask of the Lord reign in the time of the latter reign? Did they know that? Or did they just allow themselves to be led of the Holy Spirit to pray according to God's plan and purpose? I think it's the second. 
I can't assume that the people in the streets are any more knowledgeable about the things of the Old Testament than the disciples were. They were people in the streets before they started walking with Jesus. And that didn't give them any greater knowledge of the Old Testament. So I think it comes down to being led by the Holy Ghost. And they prevailed in prayer for the healing of the sick. They understood one thing. One thing at least they got. And that was that Jesus wanted to continue his healing ministry after he was gone. Wouldn't it be interesting? I don't know how this works. guess we'll find out when we get there. But wouldn't it be interesting if when we get to heaven, God holds us as believers responsible for Christians that didn't get their healing because we didn't prevail in prayer for them. The Bible says bear one another's burdens. Oh, yeah, but I didn't know that meant that. that, meant that. I was too busy going after that big screen TV. With a new car, or the new clothes, or a bigger house. And folks, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But they're not supposed to be the focus of our lives. God wants to bless you with stuff. But God wants, you to, bl- wants to bless you with them, not have you pursue them. The Bible's teaching us something very simple and very, well, it's very simple. Very easy to understand, and that is, The Holy Spirit cannot do what God wants to be done in the wrong atmosphere. We see that in Jesus' ministry. In Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, he could there do no mighty work because of their unbelief. Wrong atmosphere, even though God sent him there to heal the sick and do signs and wonders and miracles among them, he couldn't do it. If that was true for him, wouldn't that be true for us? I'm thinking it'd be even more true for us because we don't have the spirit without measure that he had. It takes the right kind of atmosphere. What if God holds the church responsible for not following the pattern of the early days of the church that the Holy Ghost gave us? What if God holds you responsible for that? What if he holds me responsible for that? Do I care enough about the healing of the sick that I'm praying for them and prevailing in prayer for them during the week? Do I care enough that there are sick people in the church to pray for them and to give myself for them? Do I care enough about what's going on in the world around us to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost? Do you? If I'm reading the Bible right, we're all supposed to care about it. If I'm reading the Bible right, we're all supposed to be doing something about it. If I'm reading the Bible right, that's the only way the Holy Ghost can be in charge of the church. If I'm reading the Bible right. If there's some other way to read it, Somebody's going to have to tell me. Oh, never mind. There are books written about that. They're in every seminary on the face of the earth. To explain away why the power of God doesn't work. And it has nothing to do with the responsibility of the church. It has everything to do with God. It's God's fault. God quit doing that kind of stuff. God never quit doing anything, folks. If he ever did something, he'll always do something. If he ever healed the sick, he'll always heal the sick. People sit back and say, they say things like, well, I'd believe in, if God had healed so-and-so, I'd believe in healing. What does that mean? If God had healed just one more, then I'd have faith. How stupid can you get? Folks, I'm praying for you. I've been praying for you for a long time, but I'm praying for you. 
I'm praying that God would make you so uncomfortable <laughs> that nothing will satisfy you except praying for a move of the Holy Ghost. I pray that God would turn your life upside down so that you have to seek him. Don't wait for tragedy to find God. Use the spirit of the Lord and the power that he's given you now. It wouldn't take a lot of us. It would just take a desire, a willingness on our part to separate ourselves from the things of the world. It doesn't mean you, 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 you can't have any of the world's things. It doesn't mean that, you, that, that, that God doesn't want to bless you in the, this earthly life. The Bible says God gives you all things richly for you to enjoy. But he doesn't want your heart in them. He wants your heart in the things of God. And folks, listen, I've been in a place where I had nothing and now I'm in a place where I've got more. And there's not one natural blessing. There's not, there's not an amount of money. There's not a car. There's not a house. There's not one thing that I've ever had that ever compared in any way whatsoever to the power of God upon me for 30 seconds. Smith Wigglesworth used to say that. He used to say, I'd rather have the power of God on me for 30 seconds than to own the world and have a fence around it. Nothing compares. But so many of us have never experienced the move of God. We don't know what to want. So let me encourage you. Start praying this. Lord, give me a want for the things of God. Give me a desire for the things of God. Give me a desire for the things of the Lord. Give me a desire for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Folks, we're living in a day where Jesus said, would be the days of greater glory. We're going to see things that put the early chapters of the book of Acts to shame. But it's going to take our prayer. It's going to take us praying for it. It's going to take us wanting what God wants. Not at the expense of what we want. Just putting the things of God first. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's true. I thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Father, that you have the same desire to heal in the streets today as you did in Acts chapter 5. You have the same desire to do signs and wonders and miracles as you did in the early days of the book of Acts. You have the same desire for us to do the works of Jesus and even greater works than when Jesus first said it. We realize you're not the problem, Father. We realize that we've been wrong when we've cried out and saying, Lord, why aren't you moving? We should have said, Lord, show us how to create an atmosphere for you to move. So, Lord, we do what the word says. We ask of you rain in the time of the latter rain. We pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We pray for a move of God, Father, that results in the healing of the sick in such a manner that, it's, that it becomes worldwide news. We don't want to be the only place, Lord, but let it start with us. Let it, well, who cares where it starts? We want it to be here too. Holy Spirit, we realize the greatness of your power that's in us. Maybe not because we've experienced everything that we want to, but because we see what your word says. Let us not be a people that walk through life ignoring you. Living on the inside of us. 
but ignorant of the great power that's there. Father, in Jesus' name we pray for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Revive us, quicken us, take away every aspect of our lukewarmness. Lord, make us hot for the things of God. Desire us for a move of the Holy Ghost. Unsatisfied until we see the healing of the sick take place and flow like a river through our church. Holy Spirit, we ask you to give us utterance in other tongues to pray the perfect will of the Father. I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment, please. I want to speak to your hearts, and I don't want anybody looking around on this because this is between you and God. I don't want anybody to see me and catch my eye and think that I'm talking about them or mean anything because this is not about me and you. This is about you and God. If it's tough for you to pray in other tongues, that means that you haven't used what's in you. If it's difficult for you to start and to maintain speaking in tongues for any period of time, short period of time, that means that you've ignored and neglected the power that you've, that's been made available to you. What a terrible thing it would be to stand before the Lord and have that exposed where you had the power of the Spirit of God on the inside of you and failed to take advantage of it. I pray that the next words you speak in other tongues would light a spark in your life and in your spirit so that you can't get enough of it. So that it melts away other desires and other things that you pursued in your life. I pray that God will do a spectacular work in each and every one of us to light a fire within us so that nothing satisfies us except things of the Spirit of God. Father, you hear my prayer. Make it so in Jesus' name. Take every willing heart and set it on fire. Take every unwilling heart and bring them under conviction that they might become willing. Father, I'm not satisfied with church as we've normally done. I'll not be satisfied without a move of the Spirit of God. 
so that the sick are healed even as in the streets as in the book of Acts. I'll not be satisfied until every sick person that walks through the doors of our church is healed. I'll not be satisfied until we see the glory of the Lord that's prophesied and promised. Make it so, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. If you can agree with that, say amen. Amen. Let's all stand. I want to challenge you to speak in tongues every day. Not just this week. Not just today. But I want to challenge you to speak in tongues every day for the rest of your life. You may be here thinking, well, I'm not filled with the Holy Ghost. Why didn't you give an altar call and invitation to be filled? Because I want you to want it. It's a simple and easy thing to receive the Holy Ghost, but I want you to want it. I want you to be hungry for it. I don't want to make it so casual that it's like, oh, okay, I'll take it. No, I want you to hunger for it. It's the will of God for every person to be filled with the Spirit. It's the will of God for every person to have the power of the Holy Ghost at their disposal. It's the will of God for every person to prevail in prayer for a move of the Spirit of God. You can have it, but I want you to want it so that when you do receive, you'll be like a rocket ship taken off from the earth spiritually. Thank you so much for caring about the things of God. Want to care about it more. Let's be a people that are not satisfied with the things of the earth, but that we have to have the things of God. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.